Well, this evening we, um, in the evenings, we've been journeying through the book of 1 Samuel. And tonight we come to our next chapter. Uh, last week we skipped ahead for a bit to chapter 24, and we're just fl- uh, taking a flashback to 23 this evening. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 23. If you've got your Bibles with you, please open them up. Uh, in the Red Church Bible on your table, it's page 295. Um, and we're going to read uh, the, whole, the whole chapter together. So the whole of chapter 23, starting at verse 1. Chapter 23 of 1 Samuel. When David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Killer and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? The Lord answered him, go and attack the Philistines and save Kiliah. But David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid. How much more then if we go to Kiliah? against the Philistine forces. Once again, David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered him, Go down to Killer, for I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. So David and his men went to Killer, fought the Philistines, and carried off their livestock. He inflicted heavy losses on the Philistines and saved the people of Killer. Now Abithar, son of Amalek, had brought the ephod down with him, when he fled to David at Kilar. Saul was told that David had gone to Kilar, and he said, God has delivered him into my hands, for David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And Saul called up his forces for battle, to go down to Kilar, to besiege David and his men. When David learned that Saul was plotting against him, He said to Abathar the priest, bring the ephods. David said, Lord, God of Israel, your servant has heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Kilar and to destroy the town on account of me. Will the citizens of Kilar surrender me to him? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? Lord, God of Israel, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will. Again, David asked, will the citizens of Kilar surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Kilar and moved and kept moving from place to place. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kilar, he did not go there. David stayed in the wilderness strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him. But God did not give David into his hands. While David was at Horesh in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh and helped him to find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You shall be king over Israel and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord. Then Jonathan went home. But David remained at Horesh. The Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, south of Jeshimon? 
Now, your majesty, come down whenever it pleases you to do so, and we will be responsible for giving him into your hands. Saul replied, the Lord bless you for your concern for me. Go and get more information. Find out where David usually goes and who has seen him there. They tell me he's very crafty. Find out about all the hiding places he uses and come back to me with definite information. Then I will go with you. If he is in the area, I will track him down among all the clans of Judah. So they set out and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the desert of Malm in the Arabah, south of Jeshimon. Saul and his men began the search. And when David was told about it, he went down to the rock and stayed in the desert of Maon. When Saul heard this, he went into the desert of Maon in pursuit of David. Saul was going along one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side, hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his forces were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Come quickly! The Philistines are raiding the land. Then Saul broke off his pursuit of David and went to meet the Philistines. That is why they call this place Salahamakel. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. Well, Rui is going to come and open up this passage for us. Uh, I'm just going to pray for Rui as he comes up. Loving God and Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity we have this evening to gather around your words. Thank you for the time that Rui has spent preparing this passage this week, working out what you want to say through him this evening. Lord, I pray that you'll use Rui now, that you'd speak through him. Please open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us this evening. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Over the next few minutes... You're going to hear a story that's full of fight scenes, chase scenes, high drama, tales of betrayal, and tales of loyalty. You're going to hear things that sound like they're from a movie fresh out of Hollywood or Pinewood. But they're from the real life of David, the future king of Israel. It's a story of how God, the almighty sovereign ruler of the universe, protected the king whose heart was focused on him. We'll see how God's hand was on God's king. And it was on his king through difficult and dangerous times. And we'll see that we can be helped too when our hearts are focused on God. For those times when we go through difficult and dangerous times too. We're going to look at this passage that James read for us. We're going to look at it through three different scenes. The first scene is the salvation at Killah, verses 1 to 14. David and his 600 men are in the forest of Hereth in Judah. And he hears the Philistines are going to attack this town called Killah. The king in waiting consults with God about what he should do. And he does it via Abiathar, the priest, and something called an ephod. This is the same Abiathar who escaped Saul's destruction of the town of Nob. David gets an answer, but David's men aren't comforted. 
So David asks again and he gets the same response. Go and sort out this problem. So David and his men go and save the people of Killah by defeating the Philistines. But meanwhile, Saul, the king of Israel, who's been trying to find David to kill him, hears that David is in Killah and sees this as an opportunity that while David is trapped in this town to come and kill him. The king of Israel doesn't come to the king's rescue. He ignores his kingly duty to that town. David hears that Saul is coming and asks Abiathar to check with God whether Saul is actually coming and also whether the people of Killah will give him up to Saul. Abiathar and this ephod get positive answers from God to both of those questions. And I think that's slightly surprising. I think we would expect the people of Killah to, to have been more grateful, wouldn't we? He's just saved them from these Philistines. David has saved them. But don't forget that we've just seen in some of the previous chapters that Saul has just leveled the town of Nob. He's utterly destroyed it, killed every person in it and all the cattle, except for Abiathar. He's the only one who escaped. And the people of Killer think the same fate is coming their way. But because of God's guidance, David escapes Saul's plans. And he goes into the hills of this desert of Ziph. Saul chases him, but he can't find him. God's hand is on God's king. God's hand is on David. The end of the first dramatic scene. Verses 15 to 18 show us the second scene in this movie. David is probably still reeling with disappointment from what the people of Killer have done. Um, he's probably sad. He's probably quite bitter. He's disappointed, to say the very least. But Jonathan, the crown prince, the, the son of Saul, the king of Israel, David's best friend, comes to find David. He comes to encourage David. He comes to strengthen David. He comes to literally put David's hand in God's. And Jonathan reminds David that David will be the king over Israel. And Jonathan promises to be David's most trusted follower. You can just feel the emotion in that scene between these two men, can't you? Two amazing friends who who are ready to change the world together. And one is lifting the other one up just when he needed to be picked up. You can just imagine this scene ending with a warm, fuzzy, soft focus lens over the scene. Which then brings us to our third scene. Verses 19 to 29. This scene opens with more betrayal of David. The Ziphites, the locals where David is, come to Saul to tell him that David's in their area. David is betrayed again. There follows this really tense chase scene and you can just imagine it. If it was made into a Hollywood movie, it would be really, all the dramatic music would just be ramping up our our hearts and making them pound. As Saul and his army are chasing after David and his 600 men. 
They're on different sides of the mountain, often just separated by a crag. Saul is finally close to killing his enemy, David. There looks like there's no hope for David at all. He's going to be caught. But just when Saul is about to catch David and kill him, a messenger comes to Saul and says that the Philistines are raiding somewhere else in the land. Saul turns away from chasing David and heads off to fight the Philistines. We can breathe that sigh of relief. David is safe. God's hand is again on David. Through these scenes, through each of those three scenes, we can see that God's hand is on God's king. In the book of Samuel that we've been studying for a while now, we are told that Saul is the king the people want, but David is the one that God is guiding. David is the king that God is encouraging, that God is protecting. It's David who's God's king, not Saul. And we see that throughout this passage as well. Saul, by the time we get to this part of Samuel, he's completely left God out of the picture. He's looking for his help from his network of spies or informants and from his army. He's looking for help from the wrong places. And I don't know about you, but I can be so like Saul as well. I can leave God out of the picture in my life too. If we're honest, we can be more like Saul than David in our everyday lives, can't we? We need to not be like Saul, but I know that I rely on my own strength or my own wisdom or my own knowledge far too much. It's so easy to think that if we study hard enough, if I focus on my exam, if I practice enough of these past papers, if I understand this topic more and more and more, I'll be successful. Or we could think that in the workplace, if we go to work, that if I just work this extra hour or put in this little bit of extra effort or just earn this little bit of extra money, get that pay rise, life will be so much better. Now, I'm not telling you not to study or to work hard. Uh, Don't go away from here thinking that that's what I'm saying. But that's not how God wants us to live our lives. That's not how he wants us to focus our lives. Instead, God wants us to use this sort of pattern that we see here and throughout God's word as the way we should live today. This Hollywood movie that we see in these pages helps us to refocus on God for our help and for our encouragement. And we can see that through these three different ways that we had. First of all, this salvation at Killer. It comes through direct access to God, divine access. We see that David was seeking God's will. He went to Abiathar. He asked for guidance from God about what he should do. And Abiathar, the one remaining priest from that town of Nob, with the ephod, gives him special guidance. We know what this ephod would have looked like from the detailed descriptions in Exodus 28 and 39. But we don't really know how this ephod worked, but it doesn't really matter. But it was well known that it was a good way to guide God's people. David had access to God's and to God's guidance through this appointed priest. Now, 
I haven't asked you this question, but I'm going to assume that not many of us have got an ephod at home. None of us probably have got one sitting in our cupboards at home. But even if we did, we probably wouldn't know how to use it. And even if we did have one, we probably wouldn't have a priest that we could use to help us to understand how to use it to figure out how to get God's guidance. But we are so fortunate that we don't live in those times now. The book of Hebrews, one of the books in the New Testament, it tells us that we have a great high priest in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a great high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. This high priest has direct access to the Father. Hebrews 4 verses 14 to 16 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to feel sympathy for our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can approach this throne of grace through our high priest, the Lord Jesus, to get help at just the right time. So as we're seeking to get an understanding of what we should do in our lives, as we're seeking to to make decisions We should be seeking to take things to the Lord. We should be taking them to him. We should be asking for his guidance, for his instruction, and for his Holy Spirit to come and guide us. The promise of Hebrews is that we too will have that help just at the right time. The second thing we see is from this episode that Jonathan comes to Saul. We have encouragement. Jonathan simply reaffirms God's promise to David, that David will be king instead of Saul. Yes, Jonathan comes to comfort and to encourage David. Jonathan comes at a time when David sorely needs him, when he needs that kind of help because he's been betrayed. Jonathan comes and helps to put David's hand in God's. So we should be walking with people through their dark and trying times. Yes, we should be putting an arm around a brother or sister uh, to encourage them when they're going through their desert of Ziff times. But our personal presence does not have the abiding encouragement That God's sure word does. Do you get that? The mere fact that we have been with somebody is less encouraging than God's unchanging, God's sure, God's reliable word. Jonathan gets David to refocus on God and on God's words to him. And we should comfort those around us who need comfort. We should encourage those who need encouragement. And in that way, we're showing the love that the Lord Jesus wants us to show to others. But more than that, much more than that, we 
We should bring people into God's hands and to a place where they can hear God's words. We do need to be so careful as we do that. We need to be discerning in our use of of God's words so that we're not overbearing or or crushing people. Someone who is, is in a vulnerable position with verses quoted at them in an uncaring or thoughtless way could feel the weight of God's words even more and feel less encouraged or comforted. But done well, done well with a discerning heart, God's words can lift somebody from the darkness. So let's do that when we're encouraging one another. There are times that people are going through now. People are in this room going through desert of Ziff moments. Let's make sure that our God and his words are the central part of how we provide that help to one another. The last thing we see is God's providence, God's divine providence for people. Based on the information from the Ziphites, Saul is hot on the heels of David. He's getting close to David and his men. He's about to catch him and he's about to finally kill his rival for the throne of Israel. Feels like it might be the end of the road for David. But God sends a Philistine attack to divert Saul's attention. That's the same Philistines who at the beginning of this passage were the enemy that David goes to defeat. Those same Philistines are the ones that then bring salvation to God's king. It's crazy. Saul goes to deal with the situation and David and his men escape. God's plan to have a king after his own heart on the throne of Israel will not be thwarted. God's plan for the nation of Israel will succeed. God can use anything for his purposes so that his plan is achieved. And we can't really begin to understand that without understanding that God's plan, God's purposes will not be thwarted. He is sovereign and therefore his plan will hold no matter what. This scene teaches us what providence means. It teaches us the strange ways that God works to keep his people on their feet. In our lives, he will probably use events and people that we can't even begin to imagine would help to achieve his purposes. But when it does happen, glory in the fact that God is sovereign and that his plan will come to pass. Throughout these scenes, we've seen that God's hand is with God's king. David is God's king, not Saul. And he meets with betrayal by the people of Calah and by the Ziphites. God has delivered him from every trouble. And there's a psalm in God's word, Psalm 54, where it says right at the beginning of it, 
for the director of music with stringed instruments, a masculine of David, when the Ziphites had gone to Saul and said, Is not David hiding among us? David has written Psalm 54 as his prayer, as his song to reflect on what happened to him in this desert. And I'm just going to read Psalm 54. Save me, O God, by your name. Vindicate me by your might. Hear my prayer, O God, and listen to to the words of my mouth. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recoil on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all of my troubles. And my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. David has been sustained in three incredibly different ways in this passage. He's been sustained through some really desolate, some really trying, some really difficult times. We need to be sustained too. I don't know about you, but life doesn't always feel good. We need to be sustained in our lonely and trying and difficult times. And we can be sustained in the same way that David was. Not exactly the same, but we are called to seek God's guidance, his direction in our lives. And we can do that through our high priest in heaven, the Lord Jesus. We are called to comfort and support one another with God's words. And we should have absolute confidence that God's plans will come to pass. God is sovereign over all. And he wants us to have hearts that are focused on him. This book of Samuel has been about looking at the heart of the promised king, King David. But it also makes us think about where our hearts are too. We've got a bit of time now to, around our tables, think about three different questions and spend a bit of time in prayer as well. Um, I think the guys are going to come up a bit later. James will come up when it's time for us to worship God at the end of our service. But now I just, I just want you to, around your tables, just look at these three different questions. Um, perhaps start on the one that you feel is the one closest to your heart or the people around you as well. Um, but have a look at these questions. Spend some time thinking about them and pray about it as well.